Good morning, Bay Life. How we doing? It is great to see you this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open them to Genesis chapter 3. I hope spring break was fun. And it was? Oh, wow. Someone enjoyed it over here. That's great. Good for you. We'll do that after I pray. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for a chance to join together and celebrate you. Uh, uh, you are faithful. You are constant. And uh, you will never leave us or forsake us. You sent Jesus so that we could have life and, and be free and, and, uh, and, and live uh, without the penalty of sin. We can even live uh, by your grace free from the sins that we've wrestled with for so long. And, and I believe that you, you've come to set us free from those things, uh, not just to pay the penalty for those things. So as we talk about sin today, God, would you bring to mind the things in our lives that are constants, that are, that are uh, stumbling blocks, uh, that we seem to keep you know, running through over and over again as, as the patterns uh, um, you know, come up in our lives. And uh, would you give us freedom and victory over those things, God? Would you help us to identify the triggers that lead to those sins and, and, and keep us from heading into them before they, we can even get started? Um, Lord, as we talk about this original sin, would you uh, use the lessons from it to keep us from our next sin? And uh, as always, God, get me out of the way and speak in my place, and I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen? I was at uh, a diner with my wife uh, on Friday morning. She was getting ready to go to work. Friday's my Saturday, so we were just hanging out at this diner, and uh, we were halfway through a meal, and this one family, uh, actually a mom, uh, with two young boys came in. I don't know if they were both her kids. They didn't look exactly like, maybe it was a kid and his friend, I don't know, but there was two, four, like four-year-olds sitting with the mom directly behind my wife in the booth next to us. And uh, it was going great. Uh, we, you know, Ellen and I were having a great conversation. They ordered their food, the food came. <clears throat> but then just as we were about to leave, just as we were fixing the pair of bill and go, um, the food came and this little boy uh, apparently has an addiction to jelly, all right? Because he's four years old. And I don't, I don't know if it's because he just likes spreading things. He's figured out how to use a knife and open the jelly packets and stuff. But I kid you not, three, four, four jelly packets on this one piece of like half toast, right? So it was like he had some toast with his jelly. It was one of those situations. And so he's just smearing this thing on, la, 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 having a great time. And finally, his mother looked over, and I don't know if she like foresaw, you know, the sugar high that was coming or whatever, but she's like, that's it, enough jelly. And so the kid was not having it. He's like, no, no, I'm having a good time here in the, in the jelly bar, and I need to keep going. <laughs> so she reaches over, and she grabs the jelly. Well, of course... Four years old, uh, we're not all equipped, and even, even some of us today would throw a fit uh, if you took our jelly from us. What? And uh, uh, so this kid just starts losing it, right? Uh, now, I don't, I'm not, whatever, everybody, parents different. If my kid starts losing it, I just threaten to take him to the car. Does anybody remember doing that, right? Hey, dude, no problem. You want to go to the car? <laughs> no. Anyway, and, um, but this mom is a loving mom, a gentle mom, and, and not unlike me, and uh, <laughs> And so she says, come here, honey, right? Come here, honey. And the kid comes out, and she picks him up, puts, her on, put him on, puts him on her lap, and this kid's crying right in my wife's ear, right, Eleanor? I don't know if she's out there somewhere, but just crying right in my wife's ear, and we're just like, ooh, you know? And, uh, but it was so, it was just uncanny. You're watching this unfold, the mother's stroking his hair, and he looks over in the midst of his tears, and he realizes, I am within arm's reach of the jelly tower. He, she's moved the jelly tower. You know that thing that holds the jelly? She's like, he's like, I can get that now. And so in the midst of his tears, you just see his mind go from the sorrow of not having the jelly to being like, I can get the jelly. And he reaches around his mom and she's kissing him on the neck and just give, and he, he grabs another jelly pack and off we go 
again. No, honey, you can't have jelly. I want jelly. And the whole thing starts over. We left. All right, that's how that ended. Yeah. But I thought, man, how great that I'm preaching the sermon I'm preaching, and you made this kid go postal on the jelly, because this is exactly what I needed to talk about. Because this is what happens over and over and over again in everybody's life and existence. Do you know that the first sin was akin to having or wanting more jelly? Kid had everything he needed. He had more jelly than he could ever possibly require. But what did he need? One more. Did Eve have everything she needed? Did Adam have everything that he needed? Absolutely. But what did they think they needed? One more. And with that first sin, all sin comes into play, right? And you and I are infected by this cancer. And we keep playing that same thing over and over again. We reach for more outside of God's will for us. Now, sometimes God takes us to the car. Has anybody experienced that before? Yeah, sometimes he's like, enough with the jelly thing, we're going to the car, all right? But sometimes he's like, no, you just can't have that, and he takes it from us. And we, we lament the fact that we can't have more, and he cradles us in his arms, and he loves us, and he provides for us, and he's there to soothe us as we go, you know, in the path with him again. And then we see the jelly again, and I can reach it. And even as we sit in the lap of our father, we go, mm, and off we go again. Is anybody, am I describing your life? I'm describing mine. It's how we roll. It's a nasty thing, this sin. It's got, a, it's got its hooks into us. And it wasn't always this way. This is a verse that I think should start chapter three. It comes right out of the, the stuff that I was teaching last week about marriage, right? It says that they were, uh, the man and the woman were naked. They were both naked, and they were not ashamed. I, I think that's how it should start, because if you get to the end of this verse, they're gonna both realize they're naked, and they're gonna be very ashamed. So I think it's kind of the bookends of the sin story. But, but it starts with a, just a simple one-verse reminder of how things were in paradise. This is the last day or the last verse that describes things in perfection. Everybody giggles when we read naked. They were naked. But the key you want to get there is they were, they were not ashamed. They were guileless, naive. In their perfection, there was an innocence. It's like our little kids. And I'm talking about little kids a lot today, but... You ever seen a little kid who just doesn't know that they're not wearing clothes? My son Cooper was completely oblivious to the fact that he was or was not wearing clothes most of his young life. He spent most of his years growing up, uh, three and four especially, in his underwear. He started uh, reading Calvin and Hobbes, uh, you know, and seeing those comics, and he just said, hey, good enough for Calvin, good enough for me. And he just ran everywhere in his drawers, right? We lived in Texas, it was always warm outside. He spent his entire summer in the backyard in his underoos climbing our jungle gym. I'm sure the neighbors were like, what are they raising over there? It's a wolf, right? I mean, it's... And, you know, and sometimes I'd come home and I'd be like, honey, you gotta make the kid wear clothes. I mean, come on. This is Dallas, you know? People wear clothes. Anyway, uh, but did Cooper care about clothes? Not one bit. Didn't care at all. And I remember looking at Cooper, and I, I remember looking at kids, like your, your kids, if you have a three or four-year-old, being like, oh, if I could go back, how great would that be? And not, not that it's so I could run around in my underwear, but so that, so that I could just have that freedom. Those kids next door, they're worried about what toy they're going to play with. That's it. No bills. No, no stresses. It, it's a carefree life. It's not without sin. That's plaguing them, too. Those of us raising them know. But there's this innocence. 
And that's what was happening in the garden. It was paradise. Everything was perfect. There was no shame because there was no sin. Nothing to be ashamed of. And then it all changes. Now listen, I prayed it in my prayer. I'm going to tell you why I'm preaching this message today. It's the next verses. We, we go through the Bible here, so I'm not trying to slip something in, uh, you know, specifically because you need to hear it. But this is where I trust God wants us to go today because I know this about everybody. It says in Romans that all have sinned. Everybody in here. We're all hot messes, okay? That we all fall short of the glory of God, all right? And so this is something that every one of us wrestle with. And I want you to think right now. Maybe you got one. A sin that's popping in your mind, this is my sin. This is my issue. It's, it's just, it's in front of you all the time. You know about it. But maybe you're, you're like me. You're more of a smorgasbord sinner, you know? You're kind of golden corral sin. I'll do this one this day, and I'll do this one the other day, and I'll, right? But regardless of the sin, here's what I want you to know. Every sin has pretty much the same pattern. They, they might be different in, in gravity or in, in uh, culpability or in consequence as far as, you know, what happens after them. But every sin, a white lie all the way till murder, premeditated type, okay? They all have the same path. It's the same path that Eve walked. And here's my hope. My hope is, is that as we understand this path, as it's described here by Moses in Genesis chapter three, that we would be able to identify that path in our lives and in our sin, and then we'd be able to choose it not by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit and through the discipline that God gives us in our relationship with him, okay? Does everybody agree that those who follow Christ should sin less, or at least seek to. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect, but should this be getting better? It should be getting better. It's the, the process of sanctification. It's our mission until we go to see him to, by his grace, conquer the sins in our lives so that we're more effective in bringing his grace, love, and mercy to a world that desperately needs it and that we're more glorifying to him in this life that he's given us to live. So let's talk about sin Let's talk about how we can identify it, and then by his grace, we'll start being better at making it less a part of our lives. How does sin come into the world? Here's how it came in originally, and how it comes into our lives as well. People are tempted to doubt God's words. People are tempted to doubt God's words. Uh, here we go. Chapter 3, verse 1 says this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. When you've read crafty, you've probably kind of read ahead and seen that this serpent, this snake who was Basically, the mouthpiece of Satan uh, was evil. And so when you read crafty, you read like evil. He was diabolical, okay? But the snake in and of himself wasn't evil. He was just crafty here and all the other places that this word is pretty much translated in Hebrew in the Old Testament. It just means he's smart. He's advanced. Uh, he, was, he was above, in some ways, the rest of the, the created order, the rest of the animal kingdom. Uh, one of the penalties that this serpent was given was, the, was that he had to kind of spend his life on his belly now. Right? If you, we'll get to that later in chapter 3 in a couple weeks. Uh, but that, that kind of precludes the idea that he wasn't on his belly all the time. He was perhaps upright, you know. And he was more advanced, smarter than all the smart animals, dolphins, apes, all these animals that we equate with having some, you know, some brains. Serpent was craftier or smarter than the rest of them. No, no wonder then that Satan chooses him um, to, to be the mouthpiece of his lies. Uh, he might have even been able to speak. That's why Eve doesn't freak out when an animal starts talking to him or talking to her, okay? Uh, these are all things we have to kind of guess at, but uh, that's what it means when it says that he was crafty. Um, uh, <laughs> this is really interesting. The, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that who made? 
the Lord God. Now, don't, don't skip over verb or word couplings in the Bible. They're, they're very significant. This, this word right here, if it's in your Bibles, it's probably capitalized, L-O-R-D, all capitals. Anytime you see that in your Bible, anybody know what that word is in Hebrew? It's the word Yahweh, okay? It's the holiest name for God. It's the, it's the name for, in, in Hebrew, it's the holiest name for God. It's the name that means he's the Lord. He's the boss, okay? And starting in chapter two, verse four, as Moses is telling the story of the garden and of the creation of man and woman, he uses this uh, coupling of words specifically. In chapter one, God is only referred to as Elohim, which is his creator name. He's creator God, Elohim, okay? So in chapter one, it's just God, but here, it's in chapter two, verse four, it's been Lord God. And so Moses is used one more time in this, in this story. He says uh, that the, the serpent was craftier than all the other beasts that the Lord God had made. And then here comes the devil. Look what he does. Satan says to the woman through the serpent, did, oh, where'd Lord go? Isn't that interesting? Satan doesn't want to give God his bosshood. He, he, uh, he starts second word into a sentence by kind of lowering God's position. He just refers to him as creator. Hey, we're, hey, what did the builder say? Not what did the boss say, right? He says, did God actually say, you shall not if eat, uh, eat of any tree in the garden? Now, if you were here last week, or a couple weeks ago, we read uh, chapter two, verse 16. We'll get to that in a second. I'll throw it up here on the screen. But did God say that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Uh, just if, if you don't know, the answer is no. He said you can eat of every tree in the garden except one. But here's what Satan does, and this is what Satan does with you and me. He doesn't come in with like, let's rob a 7-Eleven. It'll be fun. That's not how he starts, because all of us would be like, that's, listen, that is obviously illegal. I don't have a ski mask. I mean, it's just, you know. <laughs> he doesn't start that way. But what does he do? He starts with questions. And he gets us to doubt God and his word. Everybody understands that here in creation, that everything has come into existence by the very word of God. And God said, let there be, and whatever it was, was. Right? God's word is powerful. There's only one rule. Everybody remember this about the rule book at this time. It's not like this big stack of, you know, code, all the things that you have to do to honor God. It's one rule. Don't eat of the tree of the fruit, or eat of the fruit of the tree of, the, of, of knowledge and evil. Okay? That's the one rule. There's only one rule in existence. And what does Satan do? He comes to that one rule, and he asks a question about it. This is the first seriously in history. Ever said that to someone? They say something, and you're like, seriously? Now, you know why you say that, right? You're in a world full of liars. It's like, it makes sense that you would ask seriously, because it's very possible that the person who is telling you whatever they're telling you is lying to you. So you got to ask, seriously? Are you kidding me? And then if they say it twice, they mean it. No, seriously. Blah, 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 blah. Okay, now I, I believe you. But this is the first seriously. It's never been done before. No one in existence, the man, the woman, no one has ever questioned God's words. But here comes this serpent. He says, hey, man, seriously? You know what he's doing? He's creating gray. I don't know if gray was in the color palette back then, but to me, this is the first time gray shows up. Because what God, God said is, is that this is this, and this is this, and there's nothing in between. But the, but the devil goes, hey, really? How about some gray? We call it loopholes. Anybody here living a loophole life? You'll take the shortcut if you can make it, right? Me too. 
Uh, we, 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 listen, we start questioning whether things are right and wrong, and, and in our minds, we start doing some, some funky things to create grays and create loopholes. But this, this is one of the, the lines of logic that people use when it comes to sin. They'll say that, well, sin is something you can be punished for, but if you aren't being punished, then maybe it's not sin. And that, like, like, it's only sin if I get caught. That's basically that line of reasoning. Another one that we love to use uh, when it comes to this question, seriously, is that what he said? Another one we love to use is like, seriously, is this even a good idea? This is a dumb, this is a dumb rule. Has anybody ever, ever, ever like justified your actions based on the fact that you and your omnipotence have determined that this is a dumb rule? I've done that, you've done that. You wanna know what my favorite loophole is? The Outback parking lot. I'll explain. I live at the corner of, or basically at the corner of Gorntow Road and 60, over there by the Outback on 60. Everybody there with me? At five o'clock at night as I'm driving home or sometimes later than that, 60 is packed. And it's just, it's 10 minutes. I'm not in a hurry, okay? But I just don't like sitting in traffic. Testify, who's with me, anybody? Just don't like it. And so if I can figure out ways to get around these yahoos that are in front of me, I'm doing it, okay? And so I'll see the light turning red, and I'm just praying, God, just get me to the mouth of that driveway with my car, because if I can get to the opening that goes into Outback, I'm cutting through that sucker every time. Until this one night when my wife said, as she sat next to me, for whatever reason, we were driving home, I pull my little trick, and Eleanor says, Mark, this is illegal. I'm like, oh, how do they know I'm not thinking about going to Outback and changing my mind. I mean, does everybody see what's happening? Does everybody see the gray? Because I'm reasoning this stuff in my head. They can't prove I thought I didn't, you know, have some dry cleaning. And, oh, yeah, I don't. And, you know, and I'm just going to go through to my house. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I remember even asking Eleanor. I don't even know if it's on the rule book. I have this friend, Kirk, he came out to me before the sermon was even over last night. Florida Statute 316.074, <laughs> evading or disobedience to a required traffic control device is on the books. <laughs> Yay for me. <laughs> we do it all the time. And you know why you do it all the time? Really? Seriously? Am I not supposed to do this? I'm like, oh, man. Mark, you're raising the bar. Y yeah. Yeah. Because guess what humans are great at? Dropping that bar to the floor. We love to bury it. Remove the bar. That's what sin makes us do, right? See, Satan gets us questioning uh, the word of God, and then people get loose with what God has said. Watch this. Eve completely botches the only rule in existence. Messes it up three times. Here we go. This is what the rule is. This is Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And we do this too, guys. We understand that this is what God wants, but we're kind of vague. Maybe we're ignorant. Um, and I won't say that we all understand what God wants, but uh, some of us are ignorant, and then some of us are just willful. We're just, we know the rules, and we just want to, we're going to flip it around a little bit so it works for us. Okay? Now watch what Eve does. The rule is this. The Lord God commanded Adam in verse 16 of chapter 2, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, okay? 
Remember these words. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Got it? Now let's see how Eve responds to Satan's question through the servant. The serpent. The woman says to the serpent, well, we may eat of how many of the trees? Well, it didn't say all. What did God say? You can eat of every tree. Every tree. That's, an, that's, that's, a, that's a very pointed word. When you say that you can have everything, you're, you're, you're basically saying, listen, all of, God was saying this, all of my creation is yours. I withhold nothing except this one thing. And it points to his generosity. Did God have to give mankind anything? No, but he chose to give us everything, at least at this phase, except one thing. See what Eve does? She, she drops the every. Yeah, we can eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. You know what I think that belies in her heart? And just remember here, she's heading towards sin. Her attitudes are, are pointing her in the direction of sin, and she's going to get to the edge, and she's going to teeter, and then she's going to fall in, Okay? And just understand that our attitudes shape our choices and our attitudes lead us into sin. And so if we think that God hasn't given us everything, then we stop feeling like we owe him anything. Does that make sense? Like we're not impressed with what God's given us. We just take it for granted. I get up here and I preach probably every fourth sermon. Everything you and I have comes from God. Okay, and we walk out of here nodding our heads and then we go home and however long it takes us to forget that, we start complaining about everything that God has given us because we can't get bars on our phone or this is the old version of a flat screen or you know the remote is lost and I have to get up and change the channel. Are you with me? These are just technological items. But we just we forget. And, and it's like kids who, who got something for Christmas last year and, 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 and two-thirds of the, of the child population on earth would die for whatever that kid is now just beating up and thrown in his closet. Maybe not die, but you know what I'm saying. And it's this lack of appreciation. Eve doesn't appreciate, and she gets sloppy with God's word. Look what she does next. But God said, so she's already missed out on the ever. You shall, not, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. And then she adds something. Look at this next phrase. Neither shall you touch it. Is that what God said? Did God say don't touch the tree? Hug the tree. Swing from the tree. Climb it. Just don't eat it. He didn't say don't, don't touch the tree. Why does Eve add that? I'll tell you why. Because Imago days, like you and me, those of us created in God's image, we like to, we're, we're kind of leaning towards that autonomy that the omnis would afford us, being omnipotent, right? All powerful. We love that autonomy. And anytime a rule is put on us, it kind of just chafes that Imago day in us. The sinful reaction to constriction is to, is to see it as punitive and not what God intends it to be, which is protective and, and uh, uh, pro provisional. And so we see it as punitive, and so we, we make it worse than it actually is. Have you, ever, have you ever grounded your kid and just heard him go off like it's just, like, like they've, you know, I'll, I'll tell you one, I, I took, my, I took a, one of our kids' Game Boys. If they messed up uh, when they were little kids, we would take their Game Boys from them, Okay. We monitored their use. They didn't have them in their hands all the time. Please don't let your kids have electronics all the time. Please, 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 please. But, but what, you know, what little time they did have with it, we, we took it from them. My, this, I mean, my kids, you know, it's like they're crack. You know, they, I gotta have my screen. And so, um, so I remember taking this, this screen from my kid and, and he just lost his ever-loving mind and lamented 
that, you know, you've taken my Game Boy forever. I'll never see it again. I'm like, dude, it's on the top of the fridge. You can have it Saturday. Settle down. But what do we do when we've been prohibited? We love to make it worse. And why do we do that? We, we do that subconsciously because we want you to be wrong and us to be right. We want our authority to be cruel and us to be victims. And, and we do that all the time. So Eve says, no, nah, we're not even allowed to touch it. But she made that up in her head. And then look what she does. She says, lest you die. What did God say? On the day that you eat it, you will what? Surely. You're dead. There's not, like, he had surely in there, so it's very clear. This is not a, a maybe. But what does, what does Eve do it? This is, this, is, this is a Hebrew word that basically means maybe. Quite probably, but possibly, maybe, you're going to die. Lest you die. It's not sure, but lest you die. It's another part of the human condition. We love to push limits. We love to, to, to diminish what we know to be true so that we can kind of go a little further with it. We love to have as much power in our hands as possible. So if something's been told to us that's going to be certain, we love to eh, kind of kick that down a couple notches. You can see it in, 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 in toddlers. Like I've, I've been to airports, I think I've told you this before. You've seen it too, where a, a mom will have her kid traveling and, uh, and, and they'll do the count. Honey, if you don't come back here and sit in this chair right now, okay, it's going to be big trouble to you. I'm going to count to three, right? So it gives this vague punishment and then says, I'm going to count to three, right? And so they go, one, two, throw a couple I mean it's in there, right? And then three, and then they do what? Nothing. They start counting again. And I'm sitting in this, this waiting area, and I'm like, get him! <laughs> just get him! You don't have to hit him here, you don't have to hit him at all, but just get him! You're creating a criminal! Because <laughs> he doesn't know that there's limits. You got it. Listen, parents, if you don't learn anything, if you make a promise to your kid, and be careful about the ones you make, you got to make the ones you can keep. Don't get all like bowed up and be like, I'm going to ground you for the rest of your life, blah, 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 blah. Make reasonable punishment promises, give them the opportunity to obey, and then when they don't, hammer that sucker. Bring it home, right? Just make it real. And listen, I'm not trying. <laughs> that sounded bad. I'm not trying to be this big, angry parent, but I am. Listen. It is the order of how God has intended things. When he says, he's not kidding. He's our heavenly father. When he says, you will surely die, he's not, I'm going to count to three. It is done. <clears throat> and we love to not take him at his word. So Eve goes through the botching of God's command, and then, and then the serpent turns up the heat, and this is what happens next in our sin process. We start out by, uh, you know, questioning God's word, uh, and then we rearrange God's word for our own benefit for those nefarious reasons. But then people are tempted to just doubt that God's good at all. Here's what Satan does with, with us. He, he comes, the serpent comes correct. He, not correct, like he comes strong, and he says, uh, listen, you will not surely die. Okay, <laughs> he knows God's words better than Eve because he quotes what God said. What did God say? You will what? Surely die. So he's not mamby-pamby on what God said. He just completely contra, uh, contradicts it. 
In the, in the Hebrew syntax, you know what the first word is in that sentence, you will, surely, you will not surely die? Not. He's talking to Eve and he says, no. You're not going to die. He comes strong and he says, listen, man, you can't, you can't trust God. In fact, God, and, and, and he's, this has got to be jarring for this woman, okay? Up till now, it's kind of been a quiz on the rule book and she's failed, but, but up until now, she's, she's not picked up on what the serpent's probably putting down. And the serpent's saying, listen, man, this God who created you and Adam, he's holding, he's holding out on you. You're not going to die, and here's why. Look what, she, look what he says. For God knows that when you eat of, your, uh, of, of this fruit, uh, your eyes will be opened, and you'll be like him. You'll be like God, because you're going to know good and evil. The reason he's keeping you from the fruit is because that's the only thing that's keeping you from being like him. Everybody see what Satan did? God's a selfish God. He's trying to keep you down. He's the man. He's trying, well, he's not the man, but you get what I'm saying. He's trying to keep you down. And so you gotta rise up. Not like ours, but you gotta rise up and you gotta, you gotta take what's rightfully yours because God's unjust. He's been lying to you. Oh, man. Now, none of us would probably admit this out loud, but there have been situations in our lives probably where we thought, like, God, what are you doing? This situation is unjust. Your determination in this is unrealistic. It's not practical. Sure, I know it says in Hebrews that you should keep the marriage bed pure, and in other places it talks about the sanctity of, 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 of the sexual relationship being between a man and a woman in marriage. But what has our culture done with that? Blah, blah, and biblical scholars have come in and said, well, that's an ancient text. And contextually, they meant this. And, and what a woman and a man really is, is this, and blah, 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 blah. And we just deconstruct whatever we need to deconstruct so that we can say, this is how it meant to be. And, if, and, and this is what people say. And if, and if God doesn't like it this way, then I don't want to follow him because he is an unjust God. Have you heard that from people before? That's as old as humans. And that lie came from the mouth of a serpent in a garden around the beginning. And it's been coming full tilt, full strength ever since. So what happens with Eve? Well, she has her think talk. We have all kinds of think talks all the time. And this is where sin began. Sin didn't begin here. Sin began here. And every sin you and I commit starts right in here. You have this little think talk with yourself. Good idea, bad idea. The cartoons, they make it a devil on the one side and an angel on the other, right? Looks just like Gronk. Anybody remember that one, Hepper's New Groove? Anyway, but, uh, but that's the think talk. For our purposes, it's the old man and the new man. It's our flesh and it's our spirit, and, and, and this think talk goes off in Eve's head, and here, here comes the first think talk when it comes to sin. This is what she did. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, if you're taking notes, she saw that this was gonna be physically beneficial for her. And a lot of times we talk ourselves into things that are way off uh, the ranch as far as what God's will is for us because we can reason that this is gonna be materially or physically better for us or our family or whatever, and so we're gonna do it. She sees that it's physically good. She sees that it's aesthetically pleasing. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. How many adulterous affairs have started because, wow, that looks good. 
That looks better than what I got. I can fantasize about how that's going to be an improvement over my situation. She saw that it was good for food. It's going to benefit me physically, materially. She saw that it was desirous, aesthetically pleasing to her eyes. And then the clincher is this, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. If I take of this tree, I'm going to be like God. One more jelly. One more jelly, man. I just need, I got everything I, I got everything I could ever need, but I want one more. That's behind every sin that we do. More. Discontent. What God's given me is not enough. I want something more. I want to dominate my spouse instead of do life with them. So when we argue, I'm going to argue to win. I want to rule my kids. So I'm going to do uh, my, my parenting in such a way that they're beaten down and I win. I want to be God. So I'll lie on my taxes. I'll undercut people at work so I advance and they don't because I want to win. That's at the heart of every sin that we do. It's self. It's me. It's one more jelly. That's what led to her reaching out with her hand, grabbing the fruit. No, 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 go back. I got to finish this verse because I got to pick on the fellas here. Grabbing the fruit and eating it. And then she turns and gives some to her husband who is where? Right there. Way to go, bozo. Now listen, who had the command been given to? Adam and Eve? No, Eve wasn't around yet. If you read 2.16, God said to the man, okay? So the man was the, the protector of the one rule. Remember what he told him when he put him in the garden? Hey, work it and keep it. It's your job to govern and rule, to have dominion over my creation. And you know how I know Adam was there and this wasn't just kind of a, a general location was with her? It's because all the verbs that Satan uses in his conversation with Eve, says, uh, did God really say to you that you can't eat of any tree? You know what that verb, or that, not a verb, that, that pronoun you is? It's plural. In English, we say you and you for singular and plural. We should have what the Texans have, which is you and y'all, right? Because that, that, that's what this is. Satan is talking to y'all. Or all y'all, all right? He's saying, hey, did, did, really, did, did God say to all y'all that you can't eat of any tree? He's talking with, with Adam and Eve. You know why I think, you know why I think Adam let Eve go first? Because he knew that God had said, sure, like, she might have just, you know, in her ignorance thought that maybe I'll die. But Adam knew that, you, that she, someone's dying. If someone eats this fruit, someone's dying. And honey, you should go first. <laughs> right? That's why I think Adam did that. So, so, fellas, whenever you're like, you know, in the conversation, well, the woman sinned first. No. Uh, if, if we're going to, you know, split hairs, the man sinned first by not stopping the woman from sinning. All right, so that's that. Uh, just, just so you know, the, 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 the New Testament bears that out. It says in Romans chapter 5 that sin came into the world through the first man, not the first woman. You can read it. All right, here we go. Uh, this, this is how sin happens. We have, the, we have the think talk. It happens before every sin. Now, I gotta, I gotta finish this real fast, so, so let me get to it. Oh, go to James real quick. Yeah, here we go. This is what it says in the New Testament about the same process. 
James says, let no one say that he is tempted and I am being, or when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So just in case you were wondering if God made me do this or God, no, he didn't set you up. Uh, sin set you up, Satan set you up. Um, God is here to rescue us. No, no temptation is known to man except you know, that, that he can get us through it. And so uh, th- that's not God's fault. Now, it does say this though, that each person, when he's tempted, he's lured and enticed by his own desire. It's our sin nature, okay? And then it goes on and it says this, that the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin and sin when it is fully grown gives, uh, brings death. This is the process that we saw unfold in the garden, okay? Enticed. My own desires, more jelly, right? The think talk, reach, eat, share, death. Just like when I, uh, I was in Carrollton, Texas, uh, this is still one of the craziest things I've ever seen, but the town pool in Carrollton, Texas, every year before they opened the town pool, they would drain it, fill it back up, they would aerate it, and they would bring trout into the town pool so that families could come with uh, corn on little you know, uh, cane po- uh, poles, and you could fish for trout in this town pool before they opened it for the summer. Craziest thing I've ever seen, never seen it anywhere else, but in Carrollton, Texas, that was a thing, okay? So I remember taking our little kids up there, putting these little corn, you know, nib, uh, niblets on, on hooks. Did we catch anything? Did, we, did anybody with a corn and, uh, niblet and a cane pole catch anything that day? No, trout don't eat that stuff, right? So they just all kind of gathered in one place until this one redneck dad comes in and he's got his entire tackle box and 58 poles and he's not even letting his kids fish. He's just saying, you watch what I'm doing here, Junior. You just watch how I get these fish out here. And it was one of the most fascinating, that's how he sounded too. It was one of the most fascinating things I've ever seen. Because unless you're on like watching a fishing show, you don't watch uh, fish take lures, right? But here, uh, you know, live uh, with the blue bottom of a pool, nothing to hide from under, I watched this guy dangle fake worms in front of trout until they took them. And here's how it works. Trout do this. Kind of swim around. Oh, worm. Okay. Swim around again. He, he bobs it up and down. I don't know if they smell really, but it's like. <laughs> yeah, okay. Comes back. A couple more of these. And then finally, you can just see. I don't know, you can't see it, but the, the fish is having his think talk. I got to eat. I don't, know, I don't know what's up with this blue lake, you know, this blue bottom lake, but I got to eat. I'm not seeing anything else here to eat. Looks like it's that. And then he goes in and bam, hits that lure. And if you've ever seen a fish hit a lure, they just take off like they stole something, and like, like humans do. And then as soon as they're like far away, they're like, all right, cool, I'll slow down. I'll be cool about this, right? Until what happens? Until the redneck sets the hook. Bam! And then all of a sudden, it's a whole different thing. Fish thought he was having dinner. No, the dude with the tackle box is about to eat you, right? And the fish thinks, well, how, how come I can't swim where I want to swim? How come I'm going towards the top? Because there's this hook in his face. And pretty soon he's in the hand of this fisherman. And then he's in the, 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 the ice chest that will be his final stop before the frying pan. And that's how sin works. We look at it, consider it, do our think talk, Think, talk, and then boom, we're done. So let me finish with this and I'll let you go home. What does sin do to us when we choose it? Well, a couple things. Uh, like it says in James, it, it brings death. It says that in Romans too, that the wages of sin is death. It just it brings destruction, and that's what happened in, in, in our history. This first choice by these, these first men and women, the first man and woman, uh, it opened their eyes. Did it open their eyes to good? No. 
They had been immersed in good. They knew everything they could know about good. In fact, they know good like you and I don't. They knew good apart from evil. They had unmitigated, un, unblocked good. What were their eyes open to? Evil. Their eyes were open to sin. Their eyes were open to self. I don't think there were mirrors before this event happened. Because Adam and Eve didn't care about themselves. They cared about God and each other. But sin brought a sense of self and vanity and everybody looking out for number one. And then you know what sin brought most of all? Shame. How did it all start? They were naked and they had no shame. Well, now they're naked and they got plenty of shame. So much shame that they decide, well, and this is how sin works. They do the first one. They decide to cover up their shame. And that's why I want to finish today. What do they do? They cover up their shame with fig leaves. Nice clothing choice. My wife watches this show called Project Runway. It's about all these designers making things. And sometimes they make, them make things out of like the dumbest stuff. Like they have to go into a candy store. And whatever they can find in a candy store, they have to make clothing out of like licorice. Okay? Now it's amazing what these creators, these designers can do. But no one's going to wear a licorice dress. Okay? It's just not practical to wear licorice. And just so we're clear, uh, sin brings shame, and shame is this unbearable thing, but we in and of ourselves have no power to cover effectively over a long period of time the guilt and the shame that sin brings. The best these guys could do was fig leaves. They covered themselves with mulch, people. Because that's all a fig leaf is. If you take the fig leaf off of the fig tree, it's on its way to becoming mulch. It's like those flowers that you give your wives, fellas. You're basically saying, here, wait till these die. That's what you're saying. Here's some dead flowers. They used to be alive when they were a part of whatever was holding them to the ground, but I had them cut that off so that you could have them. Here you go. And they're just going to die in a vase. Here's a pack of something that will make it last another three hours, but other than that, these things are going to die. And you, you ladies go crazy for it. I'm glad you do. But that's what we're giving you. We're giving you mulch. And that's what Adam and Eve decided to cover themselves with, this, imp, this, this non-permanent solution. And everybody look at me. I know you're kind of stuck on the flower thing, but everybody look at me. You can't cover your sin. You can't fix it. The first people tried, and it was an abject failure. The only thing that rectifies your sin and mine is our Savior, Jesus Christ. It's God who covers us. You're going to see at the end of this chapter that God makes some different clothing for this first woman and this first man. It's made out of uh, animal skins. And these animal skins uh, were used to clothe the woman and the man because, well, God killed. It was the first thing that died, like literally died in all of creation. And who was the first one that killed? God. He killed some animals so that the Man and the woman could be covered in their shame. Does anybody see the parallel there? That God would kill his son so that you and I could be covered in our shame? Does everybody see that? It goes all the way back to the garden. It was his desire and mission all along. So here's, like, okay, Mark, so what? Okay, well, so I hope you understand how sin works. And I hope if you understand how sin works, you can head it off at the past before it becomes something that brings death in your life. I drove to a wedding yesterday. I had to do a wedding in Clearwater at 4 o'clock. We're not doing those again because I preach here at 6, OK? 
okay? And I thought in my head, I'll, I'll get down there and back, no problem. I do short weddings, right? Well, we didn't start till 420 because someone forgot to pick up the bride. True story. <laughs> and it was a beautiful wedding. If the family's here, it was a beautiful wedding, guys. I loved it. But I left, and I, I didn't, like, stick around for the reception. Thank you, goodbye. And I, and I got in the truck. Here's what I had seen on the way over. I drove over, and on 275, there was this huge wreck right, right before the airport. And I was like, oh, man, if I got to come back in that, I'm finding a different route. Here's what I did. When I got back in my truck so I could get here time to preach, I went on to this handy little app I have that shows traffic par- patterns in the Tampa Bay area. And it showed that that, had, uh, that wreck had been, you know, cleared up. And so I, I just zoomed back here, and I got here in, like, 10 minutes worth of time. 10 minutes to spare. But if I hadn't had that app, I was prone to go back over the, the same route that I had taken, okay? And if that wreck had still been there, it would have brought death to our service last night, right? Or something. And that's what I'm saying. If, you, if you've been over this thing before, uh, don't do it again. That, that's my counseling. I tell you I'm a lousy counselor. Here's, what I, here's why. You come to me and say, well, this is my problem. I keep doing this, and this is my, this is my answer to you. Hey, stop doing that. And people look at me and they're like, can you give me some more? I'm like, oh, well, okay, uh, really, stop doing that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and try to, and here's what I'll tell people, well, how'd you, how'd you get into doing that? Well, we just kind of started talking that way to each other when we got married. Okay, well, what spurred that on? Well, this, this, and okay, okay, well, well, then when those things start again in your relationship, don't do that argument like that. Try something different. Uh, I, I tell couples to hold each other while they're fighting. And not like tightly, but you know, uh, <laughs> but just do something different so that you don't repeat the same patterns over and over. You get what I'm saying. Just don't do that. If you understand how your sin works, don't travel that path again. And then finally, listen, the grace of God is, is our only hope in the problem of sin. It's the only thing that saves us from our sin, and it's our only escape from our sin. We think of salvation as this thing that happens you know, sometime in the future when eternity comes. No, God wants to save you from sin every day. Your faith in Jesus Christ saves you eternally from the effects of sin, but your relationship with Jesus Christ is meant to protect you and preserve you from your daily sin as well. And so you need to, man, you need to lean into the, into the grace of Jesus Christ. You need to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit so that you can figure out what this path is and not follow it again. We found a cockroach in the house recently. Um, you know, Eleanor is a brave woman. She'll kill it if she has to. But if I'm in the house, I'm the cockroach killer, right? So the shoe comes off and pa-bam! And I'm like, <laughs> right? Because I've protected my family. Because the roaches get really big where I live. It's like Jurassic Park out there, okay? <clears throat> but this is what Eleanor always says to me. She says, okay, good for you, but you know there's more. If there's one... There's many, right? And so I got to call my buddy Shane, who's an exterminator. And he comes out with his can. He sprays everywhere it's supposed to go. And for a while, not forever, but for a while, the roaches go away. Now, here's what I do. I, I tell Shane everything that he's supposed to do while he's doing it. Here's how you do the spray can. Here's how you spray. Here's where you should. Do I do that? No. I open the door, and I say, Shane, have at it. He knows more about the roaches than I do. And that's why we allow God to be our guide in the problem of our sin. He knows more about it than we do. He's got the power to spray where we need spraying. He knows how this works. So rely on the grace of God so that you don't follow the path. Learn from the original sin 
so that you can keep from doing your next one. Amen? Let's pray. God, your grace, we, great, we are grateful that despite our sin, you love us still, and you give us uh, the ability to um, overcome it. Uh, for eternity, uh, your, 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 your grace through Jesus has saved us from sin and, and the penalty of it, but, but in our daily lives, God, you rescue us and can rescue us from the sins that would bring death uh, to our, our families and our homes and our jobs, everything. So would you teach us, God, to trust you in the midst of our sin? Would you lead us, God, away from it? Help us to understand how it starts and, 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 and to cut it off at the past before it even begins. Uh, keep us from wanting more jelly, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? God bless you. Have a great week. We'll see you at Easter. I'll be in the corner. <laughs>